<laughs> Josh, I was telling Emily that uh, this is, I think, probably my first Ravel episode that I've actually been legit nervous to record. He said, he, he said he's nervous. <sighs> I think I, I think I don't know for sure, but I think I know what you're bringing up. <laughs> what? Okay, now I'm in the dark. Get us started, Stephen. <sighs> <sighs> All right, I gotta let my breathing settle down. What's happening? Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, my friends. Josh and Emily, thank you for being Steven, here. You're here. Thank you for having us here. We're doing it. Welcome to what I'm affectionately calling season two of Ravel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that'll become clear in a moment. But first, I must know what my co-hosts are enjoying as far as beverage today. I am drinking a Topo Chico that I poured some uh, Marionberry syrup into, like a simple syrup. I did not make it. I was store bought it, but it's by Portland Syrups, and it's really good. It's very refreshing. Topo Chico, it's back. It's the new sponsor of the show. It is. It's the season two sponsor. Unofficially. I am drinking an Arnold Palmer. Mm-hmm-hmm. All right. So, without further ado, I have Wait, to- Wait, what are you drinking, oh, Steven? Oh, gosh. I'm all discombobulated. I know you're not. I am attempting to calm my nerves uh, with a little alcohol I'm enjoying- a can of Voodoo Ranger IPA from New Belgium Brewing. Okay. <sighs> I've been really nervous for this one, you guys. And I there's just no beating around the bush that I can do. So I just want to cut straight to it. And then you guys ask me questions and we'll discuss. Okay. Friendly reminders. Uh, Emily and I have no idea what Steven's about to bring up. I guess my, my opening question for you guys is, do you remember the day you became a Christian? No. Like you were always just a Christian? Yes, with the exception of I like can barely remember asking my dad to be baptized. I was probably, oh. I was like three and a half or four and like another girl who was like a little bit older than me was getting baptized and I remember seeing her and thinking, oh, I should be baptized too. And that's like the only memory I have of like quote unquote becoming Christian. Yeah. What about you, Emily? That mm, That's a weird weird question for me uh because a part of me is saying no i don't remember because i was baptized as a baby um and i don't have any memories as a baby thank god uh, however yeah, teething is the worst oh yeah you're growing bones in your face like what the hell teeth are not um, bones i fact checked this on twitter they're not? with josh the other day <laughs> <laughs> what are they they are not bones what are they? I can tell you what they're not. They're their own thing. They're, they're not just like they're teeth. They're teeth. <laughs> they're just not bones. Well, whatever they are, 
they hurt growing in your face. For sure. So there's that. I'm not taking that away from you. No. But um, I will say, however, in my heart, when I claimed for myself the identity of a Christian, I do remember that day. Yes. Really? Yes. Like day on the calendar, you remember? Uh, not like the specifics of that. You remember the experience. Well, I remember, like, I remember the day, but not the date, but I remember the day. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like that nuance there. I don't remember the day that I became a Christian, much like Josh. I think it was just like, yeah, this is what we do. You know, I grew up in Sunday school in Awana and going to church, going to Sunday school and all those. I remember a period of time where I was very stressed about the idea that I would have unforgiven sin and I died as like an eight-year-old. And like, if I didn't pray for forgiveness for every sin that I could identify in my mind, then if I died without having prayed for it, I would have died and gone to hell. I remember that being around eight years old. But I'm here to tell you guys that I can vividly tell you the date that I became a non-Christian. All right. Is that why you were nervous, Stephen? Yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I, this entire episode, <laughs> I want to explore. It admittedly is very new. That, and it was yeah. March 21st at 9.21 p.m. <laughs> that I legitimately and- believe I deconverted. Yeah. Wait, can I ask my question? Yes, yes, you may. Or may I ask why you were nervous? Yeah, it's us. Yeah, we're, it's us. It, it is you. It feels, but it's also not just us, to be fair. Uh, mm-hmm. It right? feels like uncharted territory. That's because it is. Yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> it feels um, like it is because it is. But like, I don't know. I remember when we were planning this podcast in 2020 and we were like wouldn't it be crazy like in a few years like one of us like deconverted or like completely (laughs) switched or flipped prophecy fulfilled and i was like i don't think that would be me if anything that would be josh (laughs) (laughs) you know what's funny is we were talking about this in the discord too i don't even remember how it came up but like us and the patrons were like almost taking bets on like what would be the craziest curve? Or did you bring this up, Stephen? Yeah. Was it you who brought this up? I brought it up on March 22nd, in fact, if you look at the time Because steps. the day before he Whoa. had deconverted. <laughs> I see what you did there, Stephen. I was priming the pumps, you guys. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, pause. Not like literally, but pause. Stephen. Yeah. Day and time. Tell us what happened. Yeah. Wow. Because I don't think we can ask questions if we don't know what happened. This is, I mean, it's like, tell us what happened that caused World War II. I, you know, <laughs> there were probably mm. a million things for going on for decades, right? So then what was the final thing? Okay. What was the straw that broke the camel's back? Mm-hmm. Right. Because this podcast has effectively been kind of a, a spiritual journaling practice for all of us, very much documenting a lot of the processes that we've been going through over the last few years. Right, like I started this podcast before experiencing miscarriages with my wife mm. and just a lot of big, you know, heartbreaks and also big celebrations and all that. So I wonder if someone wouldn't be able to go back and kind of hear where we're headed or where I'm headed 
that leads me to today. But I have been struggling a lot in the last few weeks with a few key emotions, one of them being anger, Mm. because I still feel like I'm harboring a lot of resentment toward people who chose to outright reject my wife from her desire to serve at a church because she is quote unquote unrepentantly bisexual. So seeing straight up just actual discrimination against a member of the LGBTQ community that hits so close to home, I still feel a lot of anger about that. The other one I feel is I went to another metal show in Denver just recently, my friend Alex, and it confirmed for me that what I need and what I want is that feeling of melting in to the hive mind, as it were, of, you know, folks enjoying drink, enjoying food, and they're collected as a group only because we're all fans of this music and just melting into the experience of dancing along, singing along. I shared some of the most impactful hugs. It sounds silly of my life at this metal show as I was like, I was moshing with this very cool girl with green lipstick and pink hair. And then I bought a few drinks for a new friend of mine that I accidentally elbowed in the face during a mosh pit um, and uh, bought drinks. I learned that it was her first metal show ever and that she got the full experience because she got an elbow in the face. Uh, Her brothers had brought her and we shared hugs. We took selfies and it was just, it really was like a communal, I would still call it probably a religious experience in some way, or at least it was spiritual. The sense of connectedness was so strong and coming down off that high, you know, we've done episodes on like conference high or the high emotions that come with like a summer camp in youth group or whatever, but Coming down off that high, I realized that I'm in a place in my life where I don't think I would ever go to a church expecting that feeling to come from the church. Like, I know where I can find it, and it's in Mm. a music community that, if I'm honest, even in the way that the mosh pit code very much, to me, physically embodies the way that we should be supporting each other. Like we're all here to like be aggressive and kind of get that out. Right. But immediately if someone falls, you pick them back up immediately. If something is lost, somebody holds it up and 10 different phone flashlights are shined up on that thing to say like, Hey, you lost your jacket. If you recognize this, come to me, tap me on the back and I'll give it back to you. You know, like it's an extremely supportive place. And I don't think I could go to a church and find that again. Mm. even though I want to acknowledge that I have been to a church and found that. But then, man, cue the violin music here, because I have been participating in a program by Peter Rollins called Atheism for Lent. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Rollins, the inspiration for this podcast, partially strikes again. Like, he has the words that are the namesake of our show. Yeah. How have you been enjoying Atheism for Lent? I've been loving Atheism for Lent, actually. And it was a particular essay uh, and a reflection on uh, this one philosopher's, I'm forgetting his name. I'll put it in the show notes, though. 
this one philosopher's reflection on God as projection. Ooh. Mm. And I found that extremely compelling and much in the way I've been listening to a couple back episodes and posting screenshots on Twitter like yesterday and today, much in the same way that my friend Alex back in episode 51 of this podcast describes like, you know, there comes a day where you were 51% Christian and 49% something else. Mm. And then the next day you're 51% something else and 49 Christian. And that's what happened to me. Mm. Um, Reading this reflection on God as projection, it really got me thinking about all the fear mongering that I have been trying to do war with for the last few years around theologies of hell. That being like, I'm pretty thoroughly convinced by the idea of some idea of God being a projection. There may be a God that is knowable out there, but I think in general, what I came to realize, it really felt like a, like a scales falling from the eyes moment of, Mm. wow, the God I was raised to be in terror of because he had the power to throw me into hell. That was a projection of that teacher's worst nightmares. That wasn't God. And I also am looking at that concept and saying, ironically, thank God that my opinion about God has changed over the last few years such that I might be able to say that the God I've been projecting for the last few years is maybe the best version of myself that I wish I could live up to. That being... Mm unconditionally loving that being offering some sort of universal reconciliation but i I felt a switch (laughs) happen in that idea as god is projection and embarrassingly it did turn up the feelings of anger i'm having toward former church family who rejected my wife for her bisexuality and her non-binary gender identity Mm. because immediately that feeling, that idea of God as projection sinking into me, it, it focused the anger like a tractor beam onto one specific person in our past who was also the messenger to Dixie saying, we can't allow you to be on the worship team anymore because you're unrepentantly mm. bisexual. And really it, it mm. focused that anger in such a way that I had a real vibrating, cheeks were hot, heart was racing idea of like, It was never God that wanted to reject Dixie out of your space because you were made uncomfortable by her identity now. That's all you. Mm. It's you and only you that want to push away people that are so other than yourself that you can't just be in their presence. Mm. That's not God telling you to do that. That is all you, my guy. And that's, (sighs) that sucks. That sucks. So for you, you feel like it was like kind of this moment where the scales were tipped. Yeah. And you felt that very consciously. Mm -hmm. Like everything added up. Does it feel like when you've quit a job? Because I know that you've been employed by the church before. (laughs) And like, obviously, like that's its own kind of situation too, like church employment. And like, I've never been actually employed by the church. I've only ever like quit job jobs, not ministry vocations. Yeah. But I feel like I relate to the the analogy in the job sense of like, there's always more than one thing. Like it's almost never one thing, but there is usually this moment where you're like, I'm done. Yeah. It was that feeling. And I think 
again, some of that was the anger. Some of that was, I guess I would call it like that intellectual idea or like the philosophizing of like the projections we put on whatever we want to call deity. The other thing I've been reflecting on is that episode where we responded to Alex's voicemail, like talking about our latest like experiences of God and like reflecting on what I came to realize during that episode of like, wow, not for lack of trying, I actually have not been experiencing God outside of, again, the aforementioned metal show that helped me realize Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the community that is given there is something that I need right now and something I don't want to seek out of a church again, especially without a very clear position as to whether my partner would be welcomed to serve and to lend her gifts and her talents. But reflecting on my lack of experiencing God lately, I am really interrogating like, like what are we actually talking about when we say have a relationship with Jesus? And I haven't been able to find a good answer for that because like in the, in the, a couple episodes ago, I quoted a tweet that was essentially saying in the last couple years, I've had far more of a personal experience of the Holy spirit than I ever did with Jesus Christ. And kind of interrogating that idea is like, I don't even know what it means to have a relationship with a Jewish Nazareth born person 2000 years ago. Like I had, I I just don't know what we're talking about anymore. I appreciate that you want to talk about this on the public feed. Uh, You already kind of mentioned it, but like when we first started out, we were kind of joking around. I think it was mostly in episode number one, uh, where we were introducing ourselves and the project. And like, we kind of joked around a little bit of like, one of us is probably going to go through some sort of faith change, whatever that looks like. And if I may commentate on (laughs) you please i've been talking (laughs) Um, so long i think that it is really interesting we were like talking about this in the discord and how like like who would be the biggest shocker to like come out as an atheist and actually you haven't used that language so i don't want to like put that on you necessarily but i have very obviously been writing the line of the gray area by being like well i'm like an agnostic ish christian ish like i'm (laughs) like i'm like struggling to identify with any label but like, I'm like trying to like acknowledge my doubt and my heritage of faith. And I don't know what to believe sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I also think that there's room for some of these ideas in the Christian tradition, but I also don't want to go to church for the most part. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> uh, like I've been like living in the tension. Steven, I feel like has been very, uh, Emily has obviously just been a Methodist through and through for the most part. <laughs> and Steven has been very, if I may just sum up the last <laughs> three years of your faith life gone from like worship leader to exploring liturgy to being very open to like contemplative mystical practice. I think that like for lack of a better form, you've been much more likely than myself, for instance, to like dive into a piece of the Christian tradition than like Mm -hmm. ride the area between labels. And so, yeah, I almost converted to Catholicism at one point. Yeah. Versus like me, I'm like, I have no interest in (laughs) that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've been exploratory as well, but like, I think that I'm much more likely to like dip my toe into Episcopalianism or like go to an Orthodox service and be like, oh, oh, that was interesting. Okay, cool. And I think it's also worth noting that any like Peter Rollins deconstructionist critiquer would be like, well, of course, someone from Ravel is coming out as 
and the godless heathen, <laughs> like like they are, like yep. the slippery slope <laughs> proves true once again. Yep. But like, I think it's worth mentioning that like I've done atheism for Lent before, and I don't. I'm not firmly saying I'm an atheist. You know what I mean? Like like the mm-hmm. point of atheism for Lent is not to cause atheism. <laughs> like he's not. He's like using it in a. And maybe it's changed a little bit in the curriculum since I've done it a couple years ago. But like the course material is produced in such a way to show the dialectics of atheism and theism as they exist like cohabitatingly mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. philosophy to show that they inform each other and like give different insights to each other. Yeah. Right. It's also a pointed aim at why not for Lent instead of giving up chocolate or caffeine or whatever, why don't you give up God for Lent and see Yeah, it's very cheeky. I love it. Why don't you see what happens on Easter morning? Mm-hmm. If that's how you want to show up, you know what I mean? Of like, why don't you lose God for Lent and see how that changes things? You, my friend, have taken that yeah. quite literally. Yeah, by accident. <laughs> by accident. We'll see if this remains. Unless it was ordained. But I think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I do want to, I also want to acknowledge it's very fresh. Yeah. But that's why I wanted to actually just like get it out there in a place that we've created for ourselves where I could feel comfortable getting it out there. Like, I don't care what any. Right critiquers have to say on twitter about like wow one of the hosts would completely deconvert by the end of this project like not that the we're famous or anything but i yeah but i mean like episode six is titled the heretic in our midst and that's me we were talking yeah. about me yeah <laughs> <laughs> um like i just we have a space here that i feel comfortable to bring it and i know that folks listening whether they're patrons or not i think uh, it would be disingenuous to sit on this. So, March 21st mm-hmm. at 9, what was it, 9.20 p.m., mm-hmm. what, were, what were you doing? Oh, I, I, was, uh, I was reading my daily email from Atheism for Lent, and it was about God's protection. And in protection. that moment, that was, it just, yep. I just, yeah, I went to sleep that night being like, wow, that was a really impactful essay. Like, I'm going to be stewing on that for a while. And then I woke up the next morning like, oh, mm. something feels different. Mm. Yeah. I appreciate it. I also appreciate um, you being nervous and sharing that because even though it is Josh and I, whom you are directly speaking to, there's still this thought that could creep in the back of your head that says, what if they judge mm. or like, what if... It, you fill in the blank. I mean, there are many directions that this could take. You know, it, it could be, oh, yep, we saw this coming, like, ha, ha, ha. Or it could be, how does that make you feel? And we could turn it into like a therapy session where <laughs> you're feeling like you have to justify yourself. Or it could go in a direction that it just, you know, we sit in silence and we say, it is what it is. You know, like there's so many ways that people can interpret change in someone. And I think this is a great example of what it means to be an intentional community, because I think about our peers and our loved ones and even just acquaintances and strangers who every day are experiencing moments like this where they're either deconverted, whether they're coming out for the first time, whether they are sharing, you know, they are having an existential crisis, you name it. And it can be taken in so many ways. And I think the fact that you have felt 
that this was a space that you can come and to say, here's who I am. Like, I'm laying it out for you. That speaks volumes because think about how many people want to do this and can't. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank God I'm not or thank the gods or whatever (laughs) (laughs) Um, that I'm not working for a church right now. Oh, yeah. That my income stream is not attached to any of it. Because then your whole even more of your world would be shaken. And mm-hmm. Steven, I know this is like really, really fresh. I'm curious if you're identifying with any certain label <laughs> other than like, do you firmly feel not Christian? Yeah. What? And I realize that like part of what you're saying too is like, I think you feel like you don't have, <laughs> you feel like we, we don't have all the answers. <laughs> and that like it's in that like unanswerable question that you're like firmly done i think is what you're saying um uh what was the question Um, i'm sorry (laughs) i guess i'm like i'm not sure how to ask it like i'm I'm trying to like do i have a label is that what you're asking yes but also identify as or not like like, like, because like what i'm hearing you say is like i'm not christian anymore so I guess what I'm saying is like, and like no pressure, <laughs> you know who you're talking to here, no pressure to like yeah. identify with a, like a specific label or like place yourself in necessary relation to one tradition or non-tradition. But like, I'm just curious to like hear more about, um, I don't know. I don't know how to ask this question. So maybe this is good that we're like talking about it on here because like, I'm sure that at some point you will talk to other people in your life about this. And I think that like no matter where this leads you, whether it is further into scholarship, maybe it's not thinking about Christianity for a while. Maybe it's thinking about Christianity just as much, if not more. Uh, There have been plenty of atheists (laughs) that have gone to seminary, uh, both publicly and not publicly. And I think it's interesting to hear you say so far that like, like part of what pushed you over the edge is what I'm hearing is like, a final rejection of like, I'm not even really sure what we're talking about anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, is any of this cohesive? I don't think it is. That's kind of what I hear you saying, which is interesting to me personally, because like, I think for a long time, I have rejected many different views of God. Like, and I, I think that this is a common process for like someone who has gone through any sort of faith shift, whether they have fully deconverted and identify with atheism or whether they identify with, other language like deconstruction or unraveling or even if like someone's just like switching traditions like we talk about that sometimes like someone who's realized that they're not calvinist anymore like yourself like you have also gone through this in other ways like rejecting certain views of god and what is interesting to me in all of this is like you yourself feeling that you're giving like a final i'm partially putting words here in your mouth um that you're giving a final like basket rejection for lack of a better word, rather than a specific belief rejection of like, I don't think God predestines who's saved and who's not. Or I don't Mm. think that God is tyrannical enough to torture his own son. Or I don't know if God has a gender. I don't know if that's correct. Like what I hear you doing is giving a, a very broad, general, I don't think any of this is true or meaningful for me now. Would you say that's accurate? That's kind of a lot. But I'm trying to like yeah. also like figure out like how to ask you like what's up? 
like what's I don't even up? necessarily care about what label. Like you know me. Like I, I don't really care about like yeah. What's my new label? You can now call me Stephen the. What do you call me? Fucking heretic. The heretic. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, but do you do you like you probably care about that less now. Like even though like we've talked about many times in terms of like heresy and orthodoxy and like we think there's room for like questioning and heretical views being Mm -hmm. like a part of the discussion um whether or not you believe them yeah what's up okay (laughs) Uh, wow is there any i'm sorry you're probably overwhelmed too like i like this is like not only is this new for emily and myself but it's obviously like new ground right for you like emily was saying correct it's very fresh boy Anything you want to tack on there, Emily, that I could just tackle all at once? No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I want to give you space. <laughs> I don't want okay. to overwhelm you any more than you already so, are. <laughs> one thing I've been thinking a lot about over the last few days, Dixie and I have been doing a lot of processing about this because she, in many ways, throughout our relationship together, I was the one who like typically deconstructed something first. We, like, we fought about mm. the idea of Noah and the Ark being a real story. Because I reached a point where I was like, yeah, that's, I think that's a myth that's describing something, but it's not giving us a historical documentary. And at the, that time in her life, that was a time where Dixie was like, no, I need it to be that, you know? So we fought right. about that. And so in many ways, I was kind of ahead of her in a lot of deconstruction zones. Um, but she beat me to deconversion like a year ago. Mm. And so she and I have been processing about this because obviously- tenderly she knows that this meant a lot to me and that a lot of like emotions a lot of feelings a lot of things might be uh, particularly exposed or raw right now one thing i want to today and going forward to be really careful of is just stressing to the utmost that i don't think i was or that anyone else is dumb or stupid for being a christian Mm. and that's that's part of this process too is like there is a tremendously real grieving process going on here and i don't Mm. think the grief would hit so hard if i just have had a moment of like oh i was lied to my entire life and now i'm just angry and moving on like dust my hands off as if it never happened you know i'm 28 and i've been a christian my entire life and Mm. I think the grief is hitting as hard as it is because it was real to me. Mm. But Mm. in contemplating what tipped me over the edge, I've been thinking a lot about ontology and like Mm. the idea of knowing what we know and how do we know and puzzling around four phrases. I tweeted this a few days ago. There are things I know I know. There are things I know I don't know. There are things I don't know I know. And there are things I don't know I don't know. Which, I, when you tweeted that, by the way, I, that is very indicative of the four stages of learning. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly who outlined this like in classic psychology, but it's like you're moving from unconscious incompetence, like you don't know you're incompetent, to conscious incompetence you know that you're incompetent Mm -hmm. to conscious competence. You're trying to become competent. You're learning. And then that eventually moves to the back of your mind. You are unconsciously competent now at a new thing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to think about how to hammer a nail. You just know how to do it now. 
Yeah. And in those brackets, uh, like items two and three are the ones I've been kind of dancing among right now. There are things I know I don't know. And there are things I don't know I know. And I have been trying to do work around this feeling of, right? Like there's audio record of me on this podcast saying I've had mystical experiences with the divine. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's an audio record of me saying I, I firmly believe that in a meditative centering prayer that I encountered the spirit of my daughter that we lost in miscarriage in 2020. Um, Mm -hmm. And trying to hold space for that experience that at the time I knew was real. And at this time, I don't even want to fully reject. Mm. I am just not sure that the scaffolding that I built it all around is what it actually was or if it was just presenting itself to me that in that way because that was the framework i had at the time like i think about that scene Mm. in the good place where they go to the ihop Mm. Mm -hmm. which is apparently like this ninth dimensional thing and tahani ends up with this like all-powerful divine being that manifests itself as a slug on her shoulders you know and the judge in that scene is like Oh no, this isn't what the IHOP looks like. The IHOP actually doesn't look like anything. It's just we had to construct it for your stupid three-dimensional human brains mm-hmm. so that we could all be here without you guys just like completely dissolving into goo, you know? And I think that what I'm feeling right now is that I'm just I'm seeing the three-dimensional construction of it all as something that was constructed for me because that is what I would respond to or like be comfortable inside of. But in a very real way, again, coming back to the the question and maybe the anxiety of like, but what are we actually talking about when we say have a personal relationship with Jesus? I think having a personal relationship with Jesus to me in this moment falls inside of the drawer. That is a thing I know I don't know. So to me, I mean, there's, there's labels of agnosticism that I think are surely available. I've been grappling with the feeling or the term of personal atheism. And I don't know if that's a thing. Like live as if you're an atheist. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is I, to me, pers- personal atheism represents like at some point, I think an agnostic point of view is on a global scale what I am like, I I want to hold space for Mm. there are so many things that we all just don't know, you know, and some of those might even have a limit to their knowability. Mm. Maybe God is one of those things that we just is actually fundamentally unknowable. So we'll put it, we'll say global agnosticism, but personal atheism in the sense of, I am not sure what to believe anymore? Well, the only thing I feel sure of is that I have not had a relationship with Jesus. Mm. Sure. And in that sense, I am an atheist because I know I don't know that. I don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't even know what we're talking about at this point. At one point in my life, I thought that meant making sure I set a 20-minute timer every morning and read literally any page of the Bible for 20 minutes and then spending 10 minutes praying. Because I was given a framework of, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ by hearing what he has to say to you 
through God's word, the Bible. And then you tell Jesus about yourself through prayer. And that's how the circular, that's how the relationship works. But like, I've, I've had a lot more, <laughs> I've had a lot more meaningful experiences reading physics textbooks than I have the Bible, <laughs> if I'm honest. So I have a relationship with the God of physics, but I don't know if that's Jesus Christ. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Okay, I have a question. Yeah, of course you do. And I don't, and I, well, no. Don't we all? So, <laughs> in our show, in our recordings, and in our community that we've created we are always intentional about saying you know we might leave some things behind but i also feel like we don't emphasize enough the idea of you can take things with you that are still life-giving mm-hmm. i know we've talked about mm-hmm. it before but we haven't really actually emphasized it um mm-hmm. are there things that you are taking with you even if you do leave things behind <sighs> what am i taking with me I am thoroughly convinced that Jesus of Nazareth taught love and that his parasocial apostle named Paul said, of faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest. So I have an unwavering commitment to love and to make space for people and for experiences that are outside of all the scaffolding that was handed to me. That I want to acknowledge has been helpful, was helpful growing up, and even in the last few years, even up to a few days ago. The scaffolding of Christianity has made me who I am, and I really am grateful for parts of that tradition that have made me who I am, because those parts of that tradition that convinced me that I really think we have power to affect change as humanity— I think those changes can be long-lasting and that we can be very intentional about what we're leaving to our grandchildren's grandchildren, whether we're talking about the climate of our planet, whether we're talking about a legacy of wealth that's not just based in the accumulation of money and things, but a wealth that's built upon an economy of gift-giving and reciprocity. Uh, What I am taking with me still is what I would call an ultimate value of self-giving, pouring out a way of giving yourself away to the point of 
death modeled for us by Jesus, because you refuse to keep violence and hate and acidic vitriol in circulation. Jesus of Nazareth would have rather been crucified and never stricken the Roman soldier that pierced his side, that wrenched a crown of thorns on his head, that spit on him, that forced vinegar to his lips when he was thirsty for water. Like Jesus took that voluntarily because he would have rather suffered that than to ever keep the violence in circulation that he rightly saw as the eventual demise of us as humans. If there are some of us who take violence out of circulation, we have a shot. But if we constantly double down on partisanship and factionism, we are doomed. So I have those things, and I recognize and I honor a Jesus that gives me that. But whatever sense of divinity there is in the universe, I right now I don't feel convinced that Jesus was any more a part of that than Josh, Stephen, and Emily are in this moment mm-hmm. of enjoying the divinity of the entireness of beingness. I don't know if Jesus had any extra measure of that, but what I do feel thoroughly convinced of is that it, that is something that is given away for free if we look for it and if we look to pay it forward. Stephen, for a long time, and I, I prided myself on this, I, I, I felt like I finally moved to... Actually, before I say this, before I go into what I'm going to say, I'm going to preface this with, I'm not trying to convince you. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> but I, I hope that my, my personal reflection brings a sense of comfort. I feel like I've talked about before uh, that I, I felt like for a while I was a little bit of an asshole apologist. Maybe not the worst of sinners, but I was definitely up there um, in terms of like trying to argue exactly for what I believe Christianity wise and like why this view is the view. And then at some point in my Facebook comment arguing, my approach softened quite a bit. And I started defaulting to, especially as I started learning more, and this was even like five or six years ago, and I knew significantly less then, right? I think my view softened to on many issues, especially in talking to atheists, because I just started to realize that I was not effective. <laughs> and <laughs> my argument would often default to, you know what? Christians disagree about this. There are many views, and I reject the type of God that you are rejecting as well. I reject that tyrannical Calvinist, blah, 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 God. And I had several atheists, both in person, and online talk to me and be like there's something different about you i appreciate how you aren't trying to convince me to believe in a certain god and i also appreciate that you are making the same rejections i am and i don't understand how you're still calling yourself a christian because you're making those rejections and i think that on a i I don't mean that to just like put myself up there but i think on a like a social psychology level in terms of faith and diversity of belief within one tradition. I think that's extremely fascinating because like it is so so much more more obvious to me now, like 5 or 6 years later, that there is just so much diversity in Christian opinion that for any for one person to reject one view of God or Christian belief on an issue, in my mind in no way shape or form makes them not a Christian. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like if you're just re- like Stephen, I feel like you 
already know this, but like just rejecting like the Calvinist view of God just makes you not a Calvinist. <laughs> like it doesn't like <laughs> preclude you from like other like forms and settings of Christianity. And so like I kind of want to say to your point about like, I don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know either. Like I felt that for years, like not to just like dog on your parade, but like, I don't fucking know either. But like, but I also kind of want to say to that, like, well, I guess like in some ways, like you can have a parasocial relationship with like any individual historical or current and blah, 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 blah. And like, Mm -hmm. like I can kind of conceptualize what it's meant. And, but also I don't know. Yeah. Like I just use that language. It's like, it, it feels so up in the air too. I don't think the Christianity I was raised with wanted it to be a parasocial relationship with Jesus. I think they meant a very real personal because it's a being somewhere that can talk back. Like, you know, I can acknowledge that sure, like a parasocial relationship might be available through reading the gospels or reading the scriptures, but I I don't see why I need to privilege that parasocial relationship with Jesus Christ any more than I need to underprivilege that parasocial relationship with Henry David Thoreau when I read Walden. Mm-hmm. My other thing I was going to bring up is, uh, how do I want to put this? I went to a mini conference um, that was put on by You Have Permission and Dan Koch, another great podcast that Stephen has been a fan of in the past. I don't Still know am. currently. Still am. <laughs> um, and one of the panelists there, his name is Trip Fuller of Homebrewed Christianity, for anyone who's not familiar with the name. Also a great show. He, big fan. Also a great show. Very heady. Very much more philosophical than we are, because they're just the smartest people that he interviews. He gave one of the more comforting, very generalized like word benediction to the room to end the mini con um, that was just like the most warm and inclusive regardless of like where someone's at on the belief spectrum or in regards to church and it was so moving to me that even though i knew it was all about disbelief and the mystery of the divine and whether or not someone wants to remain a christian i haven't felt that feeling that i felt yesterday in any other place besides church and it's been a really long time i haven't felt that at a concert i haven't felt that in small groups I know that it's funny because like at that at the same minicon, multiple panelists were talking about like spiritual technologies and like the social social psychological dynamics that are at work in a religious setting that all contribute to the religious experience. And like I like I fundamentally know that like all of those things are going on. And I also know that and this was brought up too, and this is like such a good point that like describing and explaining something does not necessarily invalidate it. And I would also argue that not being able to explain something does also not invalidate it. Mm. All of this to say, um, in the same spirit that Trip Fuller brought yesterday, and he didn't say this exactly, but I, f- I feel like it was the same generic trajectory. I want to say to you, I'm just going to put on like a little pastor hat for a moment because I'm not employed by a church, so I can say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say to you, Stephen, that there is room for you in the tradition of Christianity. Regardless of what other people say, regardless of what you believe, regardless of where this path takes you in your belief about God and the universe and the forms of Christianity that have existed in the past, 
I'm going to borrow Dan's language. I want to say you have permission to be a Christian still. And regardless of whether or not you choose that is okay. And I think that like in the same way that we predicted going on, what, two and a half years ago now, I think that we can expect more faith change. It's so funny to me that like we, I mean, like maybe Emily and I will also experience a very significant faith change in our life that is going to be like as shifting as it is for you right now but like the rough statistics are that one in three people will go through a major faith shift or crisis in their life and whether or not you want to use that language for yourself right now i think that this is significant and to emily's point about like bringing like bringing the life-giving things into the next phase of yourself you just have like all the world ahead of you for something like this, I think. And I think you know that, but I want you to hear that too. Mm. Because I think in many ways, this project has been for me a way to create something. And I think this is in, true of both of you in some ways too, but I know it is for me especially, to create something that me four or five years ago really needed to hear. And of course, I've, like, I've listened to like many podcasts and read many books but i think sometimes you just need to hear that there's room for you at the table and that value to your point about value is i think what still compels me about christianity and the force for good that religion can have even against the force of religious evil i i really relate to where you're at i still find myself in the tension and (laughs) like riding the line (laughs) but i like really relate to like your doubts and your like what i guess i i probably shouldn't even call them doubts i i I guess i would it probably be more accurate to say disbelief and i think that that is really powerful and i think that in the same way that belief causes us to do things like faith without works is dead i think that disbelief also causes us to do things and that is inherently neither good nor bad and I love you, man. I, oh. it's, it's like, it feels really wild. <laughs> like, it feels really wild <laughs> recording 130, what, what is this? 131? 36, no. I think. This is 136. This is That's right. It feels wild recording 136 episodes and like 135 ago predicting this could happen. <laughs> and then like feeling like i see your whole process and where you've come from and like discussing with you over the last two and a half years and then like seeing this like conscious change for you it feels really cool (laughs) and it's really hard to put words to and i'm sure it is for you too but it's yeah it's been a ride for sure i mean like acknowledging that i know what i'm doing is heavily privileging the experience corner of Wesley's quadrilateral. I think I'm just, I'm having a moment of, I don't see scripture like I used to. And the traditions in my history are not life-giving to me anymore. Mm. So coming to reason and experience within the quadrilateral right now, it feels like a very uh, gently exploratory space to say like, Oh, I'm just going to be honest 
about my experience actually. And I'm not trying to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to cling to the Jesus shaped branch on the tree that's saving me from being swept down the river. You know what I mean? Like Michael Gunger has described it that way. So is Rhett McLaughlin in their deconstruction journeys, uh, you know, clinging to a branch, keeping them from being swept down a river. And I feel like I processing this with Dixie, what came out within that metaphor is I feel like I finally felt brave enough to let go of the branch. And then someone only a few feet away said like, dude, it's actually really shallow. Just stand up. (laughs) And now I feel like I'm just standing in a river that's like shin high. The water is like up to my shins. And I'm just like, oh, this is what we were afraid of. Mm. Seems weird. Yeah. I don't know. Cause like, I know, I mean, if the last two years have been in education, I know how to be the kind of like progressive universalist inclusive Christian, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm leaving that behind and being like, oh, well, I'm not inclusivist anymore. <laughs> I know how to be that kind of Christian. And the point I'm at right now, hearing everything you have to say, Josh, because that was very moving. I'm at, I'm at the point now where it almost feels like for a lot of relationships in my life outside of this podcast, I have been fighting this uphill Sisyphusian battle of oh no, I am a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian. And then I have to do a lot of like padding and like dancing around like, oh, I know you think this is what Christian is. And honestly, I'm just hitting a point where it's like, honestly, it would be easier for you to consider me not a Christian right now. So at least we could both like (laughs) approach each other, how you're trying to approach me. Because I recognize the turmoil it can do to people who are still in traditions that I have left to be like, Mm oh no, I'm a Christian, but X, Y, Z. And they're like, oh, Mm. but that's not how we were raised. And I still don't see it that way. And it's like, Mm. I don't know. I'm not giving up, but it does. It feels so much easier and more honest of me to say like, then consider me a non-Christian and let's start there. Do you think that that is true of like Christianity at large? Or are you specifically thinking that this clarification is the most helpful for like the orthodoxy quote unquote that you were raised with. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how the Methodist in the room is still figuring it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm fine with it because I know I've, I've had plenty of, you know, moments of like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that either. And then Emily, the Methodist goes, yeah, like I've never believed that either. So you're in good company. Yeah. But this feels different. Totally. Yeah. And I'm sure like the more that time goes on, the more that that clarity will be there for you too. It's also very fresh. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's where it's at. That's the state of things. And why I affectionately call this season two, the beginning of season two of Ravel. I forgot about that. I was going to ask about that. It's season two, baby, because now it's not a Christianist agnostic, a liturgical post-Christian and a Methodist pastor, you know. Well, I mean, you are technically post-Christian. Yeah, maybe right? the most post-Christian you could be. The yeah. most you've ever been. I don't know if you're liturgical anymore, but you are certainly post-Christian. As long as I'm embracing this, like, yeah, personal atheism at the moment, I predict that it changes the dynamics of the show a bit. And I predict that we explore corners of things that we haven't explored in the past because we were all kind of, because we were all coming from kind of the same angles, you know? Oh, I'm so excited about it. Oh, me too. Yeah. So, and I also know a shit ton about the Bible, you guys. Like, I can still, <laughs> I can still talk about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> duh. 
I still work for Faith for Normal People and Bible for Normal People, and I love my work over there. So, <laughs> and Ravel. <laughs> and Ravel. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, and I think it goes without saying, too. I think you are perfectly aware of this, of like, you gave it your best shot. Like, you were the most like intellectually curious person about Christianity to the point of exploring like any facet of it that was going to work for you and keep you Christian. Like whether that meant not being a worship leader anymore or exploring different ways of reading the Bible, like nobody can say you did not give it a fair shot. If Mm. anyone's given it a fair shot, it's been you, Mm. you know what I mean? So Good on you, mate. Yeah, unless he didn't believe the whole time. He was, he was destined. He was a reprobate this entire time. Yeah, he was destined This is for what this. God has for the non-elect. <laughs> What's with the accent? That is the worst Australian accent I've ever done. I promise I've done better. I'm so sorry to anyone listening in the down under. Pretty bad. Um, Emily, do you have Do you have a good... I don't, I don't know, so... <clears throat> How does she do it up, this time? The, the, for quite a while, there's been... Someone who's loosely agnostic on the show. And now that someone is firmly not a Christian anymore, how do you want to close out? What do you want to do? There's a wonderful song. I'm sure y'all, maybe you don't know it. For everyone born a place at the table. Do you know this song? No. No. The good old Methodist in me, um, and Josh, you actually kind of spoke to it a little bit ago about, you know, you're still welcome. You, You simply come as you are. And there's a line in the song that, I think just speaks volumes and for anyone listening, wherever you are in your faith journey, wherever you are coming from, wherever you are going, whatever you have left behind, whatever you are taking with you, whatever you are creating, this is for you, for everyone born a place at the table to live without fear and simply to be, to work, to speak out, to witness and to worship for everyone born the right to be free. And God will delight when we are creators of justice and joy, compassion and peace. Yes, God will delight when we are creators of justice, justice and joy. And I think that is what is what draws us together. Does not matter if you are a Christian. Does not matter if you weren't a Christian. Does not matter if you will be a Christian. What brings us together is this call to love, to be love, to show love and to create love. So Stephen, you are loved. And you are welcome to the table. And for everyone born, there certainly is a place at the table. Welcome to Ravel. Good wow, Lord. that was a fun episode. Good Lord, I was nervous for that. Holy shit. Um, I also appreciated that like this was done in classic Ravel fashion. Not a bonus episode for sure. That had to be a main feed. And like we, uh, to all of you listening, we had no idea. <laughs> like no. I am, I am honestly Did you, surprised. Oh, um, this isn't what you thought it was going to be? No, I thought this was going to be the porn episode. Because <laughs> you were like teasing it to us all week. And Stephen sent us this gif of like someone on the outside of a window looking in and waving. And and uh. he he like mentioned that he was nervous. And, I, and he'd been teasing that he wanted to do a porn episode for a while. And I was like, this is it. This is the porn episode. More context for the guy looking inside the thing and waving through the window now, huh?
Yeah, this makes a lot more sense. 